Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting my show. Focus on managing and growing your business without spending a lot of time on recruiting. Do business where business is done. Get a $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash dreamjob. Terms and conditions apply. Also, thanks to BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Start living a better life today. And thanks to Away. Away creates thoughtful travel products, including their best-selling suitcase with features that make traveling more seamless. To start your 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases, go to awaytravel.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So before we dive in, I just want to ask you two things. Number one, are you following me on Instagram? Come on over. What are you waiting for? Yesterday, I did this crazy reel. I was like in my car and I started singing, I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad. But it was actually a really good rant about how women, it's time for women to start playing a bigger game. And we need to see more women moguls, more women millionaires, more women with checkbooks. Go check it out if you haven't seen it already, but come and join me on Instagram. Say hi in the DMs. Let me know how you are. I love hearing from you. And also I love featuring you guys on this show. So write to me in the DMs. Tell me what's been going on. Tell me the steps you've been taking because even though you might not have an empire yet, the fact that you've taken four steps or 11 steps further than somebody else might be really inspiring and I'd love to have you on. So come on over. I'm at kathy.heller on Instagram. I'd love to say hello. Also, if you want to join the Kathy Heller Insiders Club, I'm doing these behind the scenes videos. I'm sending everybody a little snapshot of what's going on in my life, what's going on in my business behind the scenes. It's the only place that I kind of share this much detail of what's going on in my life. You can find out more about that at kathyheller.com slash insider. Well, today, Greg McEwen is here. He is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and podcaster. You've probably heard of his incredible books like Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which sold over 1 million copies. He also released a book earlier this year called Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. It's an empowering guide to achieving your goals and introduces you to the simple yet eye-opening principle that not everything has to be so hard. I had bought Greg's books before I knew he'd ever be on the podcast, and I'm such a fan of what he's teaching. It's really helped me get clear about my priorities and how to make things easier. So I highly recommend that you get your copy. Also, check out Greg's podcast called What's Essential. This is where he has conversations with thought leaders and celebrities like Maria Shriver, Sherry Salata, Matthew McConaughey. And he also talks with everyday people to understand what they want to prioritize and help them apply essentialism to achieve their goals in real life. Greg is so wise beyond his years. He's also one of the kindest, most good-hearted people I've met. And I'm so honored that he's here to share these insights with you. So without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Greg McEwen. Greg, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Kathy. Um, so I was telling you right before we hit record that I am a fan of yours. I get books sent to me all the time, but with you, I purchased your books happily uh, as they came out in real time. I get so much from your wisdom, and I'm so happy that you sat down and decided to share the wisdom that you do have because it's so good. It's such a fresh perspective. Um, we're going to talk about your newest book. We're going to talk about also your podcast, but I think it would be a miss to not talk about your first book or the first book of yours that I had, which is Essentialism and how you got to that book. Like mm-hmm. what was brought you to the place where you said, all right, this is where we need to start the, the point of doing less. Well, I was working with Silicon Valley companies and noticed a predictable pattern that if these companies were focused on just the right few things, it would lead to success, which breed options. And all that seems like the right problem to have, but it doesn't make it less of a problem. 
especially if it leads to what Jim Collins has called the undisciplined pursuit of more. And in the midst of noticing that pattern, that success paradox, I also found that I was getting into the same problem. Um, I got an email from my boss at the time that said Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby uh, because I needed to be at this client meeting. And Friday, we are in the hospital. Our daughter is just hours old, and I have my laptop open, my phone open, and I'm just trying to do it all. Uh, and to my shame, I went to the meeting. Um, and um, and even after the meeting, I remember my manager saying, look, the client respects you for the choice you just made, but the look on their faces did not evince that sort of respect. And even if it had, it is clear I made a fool's bargain. Uh, so what I learned was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And I found as I went on to do research on that, that I wasn't alone, uh, that there's a very great number of people who feel busy, but not necessarily productive, who feel stretched too thin at work or at home, who feel like their day is being hijacked by other people's agenda for them. And so I, I went on to write what became known as uh, now essentialism, uh, which has the antidote in the subtitle, which is the disciplined pursuit of less, particularly the idea, the mantra, less but better. And the mm -hmm. satisfaction that comes from doing fewer things, but doing them well so that we feel, well, that, that, that mattered to me and I was able to give it my full attention. And then you end up with some great results from it that you feel proud of. So it's a, it's a more honest uh, value proposition and one that you can actually execute on and get. Uh, that That's what essentialism is. And that's why I get so excited about it. Oh my gosh. Well, so did most of the, the world. I mean, over a million people bought that book. That is very, very unusual. If anyone knows how many books are usually sold. So what is the pain point specifically for the people who love that book and had to tell their friends, was it doing less in their business or was it doing less at home? What do you think was the main crux of what people took away that they then implemented? I mean, that's an interesting question. I Let me answer that in an unusual way. The thing that's probably most surprised me about the book is how many people say now that it's been out a few years, oh, I read that every year. I'm on my third, fourth, tenth. Sometimes a, an agent in Hollywood just recently said 17 times. I think he just listens to it on his oh way God. to work again and again. And, and, and I mean, he's read it more than I have, but I think that what that says is that there is a perennial pain that people have where they really are feeling like life gets to be out of control. And it may be full of good things, but often is. It's not because your life is just endless tragedy, but but nevertheless, they don't know how to get out of it. Uh, and so this is part of what I call the success paradox, uh, where people, you know, they, they get focused, they become competent. So, so someone says, well, good old so-and-so, good old Kathy, good old Greg, let's give them more to do. You have more options, opportunities, but that just means more demands on my time. Uh, and we start to, without ever meaning to, plateau in our progress start to feel dissatisfied or even start to fail altogether if it gets bad enough. And so what I've learned from this is that success can be a catalyst for failure. And so I think essentialism steps into that unusual, maybe you could call it a first world problem, but it's something that, you know, is not less of a problem just because it's a first world problem and, and people don't know the way out. Essentialism provides, I think, a way out of that madness. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. And that really hits you between the eyes when you just said that success can be actually a road to failure, right? Because so many people experience that feeling of burnout and fatigue and, and then some balls get dropped somewhere, whether it's family life or health or something really important. So well, in your book, you talk about like what matters most. So go ahead with what you were going to say, but I was going to ask well, you about what are those things? Yeah. Well, the, the reason I was going to, I, I was sort of excited almost there to interrupt you almost is because you just named why I went on to write effortless. Like you really almost specifically said it, which is that I was impartially because of essentialism, ironically, is there was so much going on in my life and I was being very selective. So I feel like I was applying essentialism, but I remember distinctly having this sense of well, to use the big rocks theory, 
you know, like essentialism is basically a big rocks theory where you say, if you put the most essential things in first, then it will fit. And if you put the trivial small rocks in and then the big rocks, it doesn't fit. We've all heard that. But suddenly I was saying, well, what if you have too many big rocks? (laughs) You know, what if the problem is that you have essential things, you know, many of them, and they really are essential and you just can't fit them in. And in the midst of feeling that myself, I had a family emergency where uh, one of our daughters became suddenly and inexplicably very sick indeed with no diagnosis, went from the picture of health uh, to almost having what we would maybe describe a sort of what looked like a Parkinson's disease, uh, affected mind, body, everything. And so that just pushed me again further into this sort of uh, cracks in the theory. And, and, and where I was connecting with you there was, was because well, you then have only two options. And maybe people only think they have one option, which is where you've got to put some of the big rocks down. And so you look at this and you say, well, health, okay, I'm just going to have to not think about health for a while. Uh, You say, okay, that relationship, my most important relationship with my spouse, with my child, you know, yes, it's important, but I just can't focus on it now. And you put these essential things down. Well, that's not a great scenario, but a lot of people do it. And I found myself in a situation where I said, well, Putting any of these big rocks down right now could be a really big problem. You know, if you if you just say, okay, all we're going to do is focus on the health of our daughter and, and nothing else, then you could end up physically burned out, emotionally burned out, your marriage is burned out, your family culture is burned out, and so on. And so it was, in a sense, out of necessity, but also somehow an act of mercy that it became clear to us that there was an, a second path. So... It's not enough to know what the essential is that does matter. Uh, but you also have to say, well, what's the right way to go about it? You know, so if essentialism in one word is prioritization, effortless in one word is simplification. To make it less hard to do the things that matter most. Oh, my God. And that's why I love this book. I actually bought Effortless first, even though the other one came out first. Yes, I see. Because it just spoke to me. I think that we all have this belief that it has to be hard. And it's unbelievable how like, well, yeah, you could be successful. It's complex, right? It's difficult. Marriage, you, you could be married a long time, but it's difficult and it's hard and it's complicated. And this is literally a badge of honor. Mm. And you're saying something right away. The beginning of that book, I remember reading it in the bookstore. I was like, I'm buying this book because I was hooked right away. Mm. Tell us what it means that we could possibly find simplicity. It's such a novelty to even. It's hear. a million miles away from where we are right now, isn't it? And you're right that, for, especially for let's say, insecure <laughs> overachievers. Uh, so you know, in a sense, the book could be specifically for that group and. And for somebody in that group, they, they have been rewarded for hustle, for working harder and harder and harder and harder, right? Like at some, well, at least they were rewarded at some point in that journey. <laughs> but then there is costs that start to add up, mental health costs, uh, emotional burdens, uh, strained relationships, failed businesses. I mean, there are quite a lot of costs that start to add up, but this paradigm can be so consuming we we just keep ignoring the data because the narrative must survive or it does it's the only way it's the only path and i sometimes think it's a bit like bloodletting uh you know so for for the longest time people really believed the medical profession really believed that the problem with a lot of disease was in the blood so your job was to get the blood out and their you know inelegant solution was often literally putting leeches on the body and sucking that out. And of course, now we know in hindsight that that was damaging almost everybody and quite severely. But you can see that for a long time, the results were actually showing how bad that was. But the narrative was winning. And it took a lot of new data for someone to say, well, actually, maybe it's not that maybe there's a germ theory and you had to shift to a more correct perspective. And I think that's true for a lot of us, that we have this mindset uh, maybe it's Puritan in its nature, where we have learned not only that hard work is a virtue, which I think it is, uh, but that we take it to an extreme to the point where we distrust the easy 
but it's easy. It can't be the right path. What a cost that is. What an absurdity. As soon as we say, I mean, that, that takes off all of these potential options, solutions, simplifications, these enormous sets of possibilities removed before we even begin to explore them. And so my, like the first principle, I would say, the first tool practice of making life more effortless is to invert that mindset and to say, instead of to say, how can I work harder to get better results? You say, how can I make it easier? Or even this question, how am I making it harder than it needs to be? I swoon over those questions. They're so important and they're so delicious. Everybody should be asking that in their business and in their life. How am I making this harder than it has to be? I feel that. That's a question you can use all the time. This is not a profound example, but I was in a movie last night and and I needed, uh, we brought in, yeah. <laughs> we brought in salads into this movie. That wasn't like an evidence of, of some enlightenment. It was just like a sort of desperation before we ran into this thing. And then we sit there and I'm like really hungry. And then I suddenly realize there's no forks. And I'm sitting in this movie going, am I just going to be hungry? Am I going to miss the movie? What are we going to do? And I'm like kind of being grumpy about it. And, uh, and then I, that question came to me, how are you making this harder than it needs to be? And I thought, okay, just get up and go find forks. There's a store, you know, there's a store close to here. I get up and go, and it ends up that the store, there's actually a store even closer. So I'm back in before the movie begins, and my wife is really impressed. Like, how did you get this so fast? And it's like, yeah, I was making it more complicated than it needed to be because I was sitting there moaning about it, complaining about it, instead of, look, just get up and it will, you know, a yeah. solution can manifest itself. Yeah, exactly. It's this trivial example, but that's like, this is a question for everyday normal challenges. Normal. And also what you said before about how we literally remove so many possibilities by saying if it's if it's simple it it can't really work right and isn't that really just so powerful like if you look at your business and you really boiled it down or you look at your parenting and you boil it down it's so obvious how it's the simplest things that actually work with your kid or it's the simplest things that actually work in your business i'll give you an example in our business for my for the folks who are listening is that we had all these different things that we would launch, different kinds of offers, different kinds of things. <laughs> and my team, my integrator, she said to me, you know, Kathy, when you do like just a big old live launch, you know, you'll scoop up people. They have that experience with you. It's five days. They get to know you. And then all these people, you know, convert and buy this offer. And it's always a seven figure leap in the business. Always. We always do that. Multi seven figures. She said, so why on earth then in between these launches, would we dedicate team resources to all these different offers? And, you know, one's $97 and one's $10 and one's this and one's that. It's like, just launch, like just do your launches. You know, your launches work. People love it. It's easy for you. And I was just like, wow, that was just an interesting concept. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Away for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Away creates thoughtful travel products, including their best-selling suitcase with features that make traveling more seamless. And now when travel looks more different than ever before, you can count on Away's range of suitcases, bags, and accessories whenever you take that next trip. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more. I love that it has four 360-degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break, so you can have a smooth ride in any direction. They're super durable, and even if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. Away offers free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous US, UK, Europe, Canada, and Australia. I love my Away suitcase. It has so much room, which is helpful for someone like me who tends to pack a lot. And I especially love that they have a TSA-approved combination lock built in to keep my stuff safe. There's a good chance I'll be visiting the East Coast during the holidays, so I can't wait to use my suitcase on that trip and make the most of these awesome features. To start your 100 day trial and shop the entire away lineup of travel essentials including their best-selling suitcases go to awaytravel.com slash dream job that's awaytravel.com slash dream job to start your 100-day trial imagine you're about to launch a campaign it tested well your entire team is happy everything is going according to plan except for that one thought in the back of your head how do i make sure that the people i want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message the answer, LinkedIn, because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to engage with your business. And that means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can and as soon as you launch it. 
Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn. That's why more than 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform to help their organization achieve specific objectives. Lately, I've been reading a lot of articles on LinkedIn about the great resignation, and it's been really interesting to see the reasons why people are leaving their jobs and pursuing their own business. And to figure out how I can serve them during this transition, whether you have short or long-term business goals, LinkedIn is there to help. They have tools for brand building and lead generation, and not only can you target and reach a professional audience down to their job title, company name, and location, but you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site or who you've contacted in the past. Advertising on LinkedIn, the world's largest professional network, can help you reach your marketing goals. Do business where business is done. Get a $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash dreamjob. linkedin.com slash dreamjob. Terms and conditions apply. I want to go over though the three steps in this book. Okay. Mm-hmm. So step one, my, I don't know. They're all my favorite, but this one was just so juicy. Get into the effortless state, clear the mental clutter that makes it hard to focus. Ah, oh, that was so yeah. helpful. Let's talk yeah. about that. There's so much noise in our heads. First of all, so much. It's like we've run out of space in, in our, you know, they're like the, the ram of our brains just cluttered up the the most recent research suggests which is pretty shocking that we can only actually keep about two things in the ram of our brain in our short-term memory at one time and so what most of us are doing is trying to juggle maybe like one or two hundred and so it's absolutely exhausting and that's just that that's just the mental clutter then there's also the emotional clutter we hold on to like what about all the grudges that we hold on to uh, you, what, what, someone can hold on to a grudge, right? Literally their whole life. They could hold on to a grudge, think about it, nurse it. You know, they hire a grudge. Maybe they hire a grudge to make themselves feel stronger or superior or one up or something. And, and they just never let it go. And so they just have added that complexity into their life, into every day of their life, into multiple times within a day. And it can consume sometimes. I mean, I've talked to people that will tell me, as much as 60, 70, 80% of their mental and emotional energy capacity is consumed just on grudges. So, you know, and and then maybe add just one more feature, which is just exhaustion. When we're physically exhausted, that just adds a certain burden to everything. Uh, I, I mean, think about that sensation when you're, you can't find your keys, you get an email from someone at work, a client, and they're, they just seem like they're complaining about something and it just really upsets us and bothers us. And now we're just reliving that again and again. Your daughter says, Oh, can you just, can you help me uh, braid my hair? And we resent that because everything's too much because we're exhausted. We're hungry and so on. And compare that to like what happens after you, you know, get a good night's sleep, good hot meal, take a shower. And then everything's different. You find your keys right where you left them. You you can respond to the email with grace because you understand what they mean. You're able to. And and so these are this sort of mental, physical, emotional uh, clutter puts us into a state. I think it's not exaggerated here, like to an exhausted or even state of suffering. And, and so we've all experienced the effortless state, but we don't often live in it. And so it's about removing those obstacles so that we can be here more and so that we can enjoy being here more and letting go of these other things. That's the effortless state. Yeah, it's beautiful. And in step two, you talk about taking effortless action and simplifying your processes to make the important work easier to do. I feel like this is where I see so many people that I coach who come through our doors. They they just don't even get started because there is such perfectionism and there's a lot of focusing on things that they don't have to have perfect. And the process itself is just exhausting. So when you say take effortless action, Mm. because I'm always saying to people, the clarity comes from action. Oh, but the action is so hard to do. I'm like, okay, so this is the problem because we need the data, right? We've got to take action in order to see, to get momentum, right? And then as we're taking action, whether it's in our family life and our work life, that's even how we figure out even what we're doing. And then all yes. the spontaneity leads to more goodness. But how do we take effortless action? I think one very practical thing is to, to take a, a microburst approach. 
But you say, okay, you literally time yourself for 10 minutes and you say, okay, what is the very, very first step I can take to achieve the result I'm trying to achieve? Love and, it. and you actually time that 10 minutes, microburst, focused energy. And you even say, okay, after I've done 10 minutes, I'm going to go do this other fun thing. I'll go take a, go take a break because you can achieve a lot in 10 minutes. I was just talking to somebody recently coaching them through this. And they, I said, what's something essential you're under investing in? They said, we're eating healthy at lunch. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, well, it gets to, you know, noon and I'm hungry, but I don't stop to eat. So it gets to two or three. And then I just go get fast food because it's, you know, I, my, right. I'm past that good decision-making. Right. I said, okay, so what can you do in 10 minutes to solve this problem, to make it effortless? What can you do in 10 minutes to make this effortless going forward? And he paused and he's like, well, I could probably just like sign up for one of these apps uh, that deliver the food, deliver lunch every day at a set time. Uh, and then he's like, paused for a while. He's like, 10 minutes. What can I do in 10 minutes? He's like, oh man. He said, I think I could find the app, download it, sign up for it, select the meals and complete the whole transaction within 10 minutes. I said, okay, so how long has it been a problem? 10 years. And, and that's, that's the difference, right? It's like a microburst of action is worth far more than all the worrying. <laughs> if you've I'm got obsessed time, with this. I'm never going to not, I'm never going to forget this microburst. <laughs> it's so good. Well, and if you've got enough time to worry, then you've got enough time to take a, a microburst. You have enough time to worry. You have enough time to take a microburst of action. It's true. It's like that 20 seconds of courage, right? 20 yeah. seconds of courage. What could you do with that? All right. So step three, really, really juicy as well. Achieve effortless results. Choose activities that deliver the most results from the least effort. Yeah. So let's talk about this. And because you've worked in Silicon Valley and you've been a consultant and a coach and you've done your own business stuff in terms of business, how do we do that? How do we choose the activities that deliver the most results from the least effort? Well, I mean, part three of the book is different to the previous two because it takes it all the way because you say, well, what's the ultimate effortlessness? The ultimate effortlessness is that you don't do anything and the result happens anyway right like you don't do a thing and it still happens so now the question what's is, the best is kind? what's that yeah the best kind exactly right so what a lot of people a lot of entrepreneurs you know are stuck in is linear results so they get up they have to hustle today to get the result today and if tomorrow they don't hustle then they aren't going to get the result right and so they live even if they're getting quite good results they're still doing it in a way that they can never stop. They can never take a break. They can never look at their business. They can, because they're a slave in this process. And an example that, that I love about this is, um, is uh, Jessica Jakely when she went to Africa with her, her then husband and a team of people, and uh, they're trying to help entrepreneurs there. And she finds this entrepreneur who sells produce on the side of the street. And so she's, uh, you know, if she doesn't sell produce today, then her children don't eat today. So that's total subsistence. That's one-to-one -one ratio. And they say, well, how could we help you create a business that's a little more residual? And they find that a $500 investment to her, a gift to her, would help her to set up a new contract with her suppliers and cut out the middleman and get her business up to a little better, have some profit in it. And they think, well, at first they think, well, look, $500, that's nothing. We'll just, you know, we can get that money and give this to her. And then they say, well, how could we do it maybe in, a, in such a way that that could make impact many times over? And they say, okay, well, micro loan, we can give the $500, but she pays it back. And so it gets given to another entrepreneur. And so maybe that's a 10x impact now. It's a, a return on effort is 10 times what it will be if we just give it as a gift. And then somewhat inspired by that insight, they say, well, hold on. What if we could create a whole platform, a website, which enables other people like us who just have a small amount to give could offer microloans to people all over the world? And that's how Kiva.org was born. Yeah. Uh, and so what's the impact been? Like, what's the comparison of linear effort to residual effort? The difference is that $500 versus $1.3 billion with a 97% repayment of loans. I mean, well, that's 2,000x difference. And, and so that is, 
an illustration of the point of the principle. And the, the, the sort of if I put it into a rule, it would some, something be like, stop doing one-to-one ratio work. You just got to somehow get out of that work so that every time you do effort, you're saying, how can I use my effort in a way that will make tomorrow easier and will make this particular action easier than it used to be? And And once you get into this, I mean, the painful part about getting into this is to discover how much of our lives we have spent doing linear work and just getting one return for every ounce of effort you put in. Uh, you can get a, a much, much higher rate, uh, return on effort than that. That's incredible. Okay, before we start wrapping up, I just want to take a quick ad break. When you're feeling down or struggling to achieve your goals, sometimes it helps to talk it out with someone and BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can conveniently connect in a safe and private online environment and start communicating in under 48 hours, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is available worldwide and offers a broad range of expertise like depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, relationships, self-esteem, anger, grief, and anything you share is completely confidential. You're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor or any time. BetterHelp is not a crisis line self-help. It's professional counseling. There were some moments in this year when I was facing some big life decisions and I felt a little stuck. So I went to BetterHelp and the online counselor really helped me get clear about what direction to take. I think it's important to have that outside perspective when you're going through something. So I love what BetterHelp is doing to make therapy more accessible to everyone. They even have financial aid available if you need it. So start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash dreamjob for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. So some of the other topics covered in the book, you talk about, which is interesting too, because you say, make one-time choices that eliminate future decisions. What does that mean? What's an example of that? Uh, I mean, I think any time that you can automate something, you're in that category. Uh, so, so even literally creating a checklist, a repeated checklist. So not a written checklist, but that you actually type it up so that you can just tweak it over time. We've done it with our children, uh, where they have checklists all summer long and we do home education even before the pandemic. And that's its own challenge of, you know, for sure. But a big step forward is once you have a checklist and every day, here's the checklist and they need to go through it and do one after another. And so you, remove the need for you or them to have to think about what needs to be done. You're just going to do the work uh, rather than to have to reinvent it and rethink it and reimagine it. And that sort of decision fatigue that comes from having to make a decision again and again and again. Absolutely. That's a really good one. And you, you mentioned your daughter before, and you just said again that you do this with your kids during homeschool and everything else. In the book, you talk about making relationships easier to maintain and manage. And I love that you talk about relationships because you could just talk about business. You have enough to Mm. share. But what what do you have to share on that front? How do you make relationships easier to manage and maintain? I mean, that's something we don't talk enough about. Yeah, I think if I had to summarize that in one word, I would, you know, it's it's not an innovative word, but it's trust, right? Like this is what it's about. So first, it's about doing all we can in life to make sure that we hire the right people and hire in inverted commas, right? I mean, it's it's be careful who you marry, right? It's be careful who you partner with in business. Be careful who you spend a lot of time with. It's being very thoughtful about that. Uh, it's a business example, but I think you can use the criteria elsewhere uh, from Warren Buffett when he's choosing who to work with. He uses what I, I call now the three I's which is he's looking for people with high integrity, high intelligence, and high initiative. So those are the three I's. And anyone, if you reflect on your life and you think, okay, what relationships have cost me disproportionately? Those relationships where I put in more and more and more effort, but got less and less and less out of it. You find that basically one of those three things is is, is out of alignment. Uh, and so, you know, c- contrast this. It's a business example, but it applies everywhere. But think of when Warren Buffett decides that they, Berkshire Hathaway, want to purchase uh, McLean Industries, 20-something billion dollar purchase. That's a massive, you know, I mean, that's just by any estimation, a huge, huge purchase. You could spend six months 
millions of dollars just doing due diligence, checking every lien, every contract, everything. So what they did instead, which is what's so breathtaking, is they said that it was just a two-hour meeting and a handshake. And that's what it was. They said, we knew that they would have it exactly as they did, and they did. And that's the ease with which you can operate when the trust is high. Now, that's not just something you just say, okay, I'm just going to trust people, because you, if you trust incorrectly, that can be, of course, highly costly. But if you can find people that you can trust and then trust them completely, you can speed up everything. And most of us know that experience, at least by its opposite. When you're working with people you don't trust, when the trust gets low in a relationship, then everything is harder. And you can use as a metaphor like the, the oil in, a, in an engine. Trust is like the oil of the, of the engine. For a while, you ignore the oil. You don't even think about it. You're just driving the car, and the oil's getting lower and lower. And so the more friction starts to occur on the engine. And I'm no, you know, I'm not an engineer, but, you know, self-evident that if you get rid of all the oil, all those machine parts will cease working. And, and just completely ruin your whole engine. So it's like, go, eventually it becomes very urgent. Relationships are like that, right? Like when the trust gets low, everything's hard. Even one text from somebody, if the trust is low enough, is painful and, and emotional and hard work. And you spend an hour thinking about how to respond. And, and so it's all about how can I put oil into the relationships so that they start to feel effortless over time. And, and I think the key idea for doing that is to understand what is essential to the other person, because it may not be at all what's important to you. Uh, and if you can understand what's disproportionately to the other person and then make a deposit on that, it's like you get 10 for the price of one. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, if you've ever received a gift that maybe it was expensive, but it wasn't what you like at all. So awkward. It's so awful. You feel unknown. You feel lonelier than without the gift. And it's like kind of a terrible moment. And that's when you get it wrong. And so if you can understand somebody well, you, you can put a lot of oil in the relationship for a very small cost. Yeah, that's so, so well said. Another thing you talk about in the book, which I wanted you to touch on because it's so good, is how do you prevent frustration by solving problems before they arise? And uh, I once heard someone say that the reason somebody's a good driver or a good basketball player is because they anticipate right? What might be coming around the corner or they anticipate how this person might, you know, do this layup or jump shot. And other than that, I hadn't heard someone say like solve problems before they arise. Mm. What do you mean by that? And how on earth can you do that? Most of us are managing problems all day long instead of solving them. And so it's basically what we just said about residual results, but it's in reverse because a residual problem costs you every single day, day after day. And you have to keep on managing it and keep on handling it. And uh, as an example, I was interviewing Dean Aitchison, who's sort of a productivity thinker, facilitator, who inspired David Allen, who wrote, based on Dean's work, uh, the book, Getting Things Done. And I was talking to Dean about it. And he said, he said, I remember when I was first working with people through a certain approach to productivity, one of my clients was preparing for our meeting. So we're sitting down and he opens the drawer in his office. And as he does it, he then has to shake the drawer like three or four times and he's hassling with it. And then it finally he opens it and, and then we start the meeting. And, and Dean says, oh, before we get to that, can we just talk about the drawer? And uh, he says, oh yeah. He said, well, what's, what's, what's the deal with this drawer? He said, well, you know, there's this thing that's out of place in there. And so it always, you know, rattles around and it gets stuck and, and they said, oh, let's, let's just literally take a minute or two right now to solve the draw. And they do it. They go through it. They solve it. It takes them just a couple of minutes to do it. And the client says, you know what? You've earned your full price right there. I've had that hassle for two years. Two years I've had that. And it took two minutes to solve it. So prevention really starts by saying, what are irritating problems? You know, they don't have to be massive things, but Problems that I deal with repeatedly that maybe I could do something about within a couple of minutes, a tiny investment, even if it's a little more than a couple of minutes, a few minutes, a microburst of investment could remove that problem from ever happening again. 
that's where the value proposition is. See, yeah. see, rattling that drawer around only takes them, a, you know, whatever, 30 seconds, a minute, a couple of minutes, whatever, to deal with. So in the moment, it's easier just to deal with the problem, just to manage it. But if you add it up over two years or five years or 10 years, it's an incredible bargain to solve it rather than to manage it. A hundred percent. And that's true, true in relationships, true in businesses, true across the board. Yeah, it's hundred percent true. I just want to talk about your podcast because mm. people who listen to podcasts tend to listen to more podcasts. That's yes. the behavior pattern. So I want them to hear about it. It's called What's Essential. And every week you're having conversations with incredible people, many of whom have been on this show, like my good friend, Sherry Salata and John Acuff and Matthew McConaughey. And you're right in there having these conversations with those same people, except you're using this juicy topic, which I love. And so it makes me want to tune in because it's not the same conversation they're having with everybody. It's really, it's cool how I see those people in a different light on your show, because we get Mm -hmm. to talk about it in this way, What's Essential. And so I wanted to ask you from your podcast, what have you noticed is the answer? If you had to sum up what's been most essential for people or what winds up being the things that we really need to look at that are most essential in our lives, what do you see as the through line and what would you point us to as being mm-hmm. most essential? No, the, the thing that comes to mind, and maybe it's because you mentioned Matthew McConaughey because it came strong in that conversation, was the role of not knowing what the big yes is, but trusting what the no is, you know? So instead of saying, I've got to have perfect clarity to move forward, we say, I just need to know what not to do and not doing it. I mean, McConaughey was already an A-lister in Hollywood when he took two years to go on his walkabout. But why did he go on a walkabout? He just, he just knew he didn't want to continue and just become like this rom-com actor. He didn't know what he wanted to do instead. He just knew it couldn't be that. Right. And so he he had that that presence of mind to admit that rather than just to keep going and see where this horse is going, you know, where it's going to take me. And that's a that's a deep theme for me. I was recently studying about this as part of a, a great books uh, project that I'm on to read through sort of the classics within Western civilization at, the Socrates was known at uh, one time as the wisest man in the world. And he questioned that. He said he didn't think that was true, but, but he said if it was true, it was because he had a daemon with him all the time, a presence, a, like a demon, but not quite the way we would think about that. And this daemon would never tell him what to do, but would always tell him what not to do. And, and that's really distinct in life. If we can pay attention to what not to do, it's like the course correction that will take us closer to being on the right path. And that takes off some pressure. Don't worry about having to have the perfect answer of exactly what it is, the right thing right now. But you say, well, it's not that. So I'll stop doing that. And it's definitely not worrying about that person or holding a grudge on that person. I know that's not the right thing. So I'll let go of that and to let go of the things we know that it isn't so that we tend to be, you know, let's say, um, you know, the, how does the poem go? The path to wisdom is simple to express, to air and air and air again, but less and less and less. That's one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. I'm blown away by that because every single day, myself and other people that I'm speaking to are asking ourselves, like, what is the best decision? What is the next move? And that is a difficult question to answer. What is the best decision? And so my friend Susie Moore says, it's you make the decision and then you make the decision right, whatever the decision is. Mm. What, what, what you just said, which everyone could feel as soon as they just heard you say it, is how about start with what you know is a no? And then how many things, as you said that, did I think, well, then that's something I would stop doing. And that's something that I did stop doing. And that led me closer. I mean, just that alone, Greg, that in, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> like, um, and, and really in a way that, that has so much to do with what, what you're speaking of. So let me ask you about this podcast. Do you love it? And after being a best selling author with a capital B, why start a podcast when you already have all this success? What is it about the podcast that you love so much? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think the why for doing it was a kind of an obvious discovery in a way that I'd missed, which is that for people that discover essentialism are now effortless, that's the whole journey with me. And they need something else, or a lot of people do, because they just get pulled back into their old ways. Yeah. Whereas in, for me, the conversation continues all the time. You know, there's almost never not been a day in whatever, almost, almost, I don't know, five, seven, eight years where I haven't talked about these themes. So I'm being held accountable by the virtue of the fact that I'm sharing them and learning and admitting where I'm failing, but other people don't get that. And so the delight was the idea of like, you just get your shot of essentialism. You get your shot of, uh, of, you know, what really matters in this world and how can you make your, make it a bit easier or at least less hard to do those things. And the idea of doing that every week seems to have created some goodness for people. And, you know, it's, it's good for me too. I've gained a lot more than maybe I even expected to gain in the process myself. Uh, so I was primarily for the people that I was doing it. But for me, what it's gained is, is like, you know, it's the unexpected part, which is the friendships of the people that you interview. You know, this is true. That, that discovery of like, oh, we get to go from being connected by rumor or, you know, I read your book or you liked something I did or whatever, but it's just separate to actually getting into each other's world. And that's been, you know, I suppose my, my personal benefit. I agree. And I'm sure they're saying the same thing about you and about the people they meet, because that's how I feel too. It, it's such an incredible, such an incredible gift. And what is, what is beautiful is that as I've made these kinds of friends, you realize that the the cost of admission to this club, whatever this is, is uh, it's a lot of courage. There's a lot of vulnerability. There's a strength in that. And there's a lot of generosity, right? Because mm. people are willing to make space for other people and to learn and humility and all of that. So that's been such a gift podcasting. Um, and I'm sure your audience loves you so much. So tell everybody where they can buy your books and where they can subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, they, they, you know, can get by the books wherever books are sold. You get podcasts wherever podcasts are. But the main thing I really want to say in my conclusion is, is how grateful I am to be on here with you. Uh, you're terrific in what you're doing. Very encouraging interviewer. And, and I've learned things myself in the process. So thank you for having me here. Greg, that is so sweet. And I can see why you're such a great dad and husband and mentor Thank you so much for making the time. And for those of you listening, you don't even know we had those like tech issues before. And thankfully the sky cleared and we were able to do this, but Greg handled that so well. And I just want to say on recorded air that, you know, you really get to know somebody when things like that happen, they're either going to like take it in stride or, and he was just so generous and sweet. And I said, Oh, we'll do it another time. He said, no, let's just, let's see if we can do it now. And, and you made me feel so at ease so I just want to say everyone should know that about you, which is that's ultimately probably why you're so successful is there's a lot of kindness in you. Mm, well, generous to the end. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming. This was great. How amazing is Greg? All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Number two, instead of asking, how can I work harder to get better results? Ask yourself, how can I make it easier? How am I making it harder than it needs to be? Number three, take a 10 minute micro burst. Make the first step you can to accomplish the result you're trying to achieve. Number four, use effort to make tomorrow easier and make this action easier than it used to be. Number five, prevention starts by saying, what are the irritating problems I deal with repeatedly and what can I do in a few minutes to remove this problem? A microburst of investment could remove that problem from ever happening again. Number six, pay attention to what not to do. It's the course correction that takes us closer to being on the right path. And number seven, you don't need to have perfect clarity to move forward. We worry about having the right thing right now, but it's really about letting go of things we know that it isn't. All right, now I want to celebrate our awesome alumni. So Claire said, happy second podcast birthday, 50,000 downloads. My downloads have doubled since my first podcast birthday, so I'm aiming for 100,000. Claire, this is incredible. Congratulations on 50,000 downloads and for sticking with your podcast 
for the whole two years. That is no easy thing. I remember when you were in our podcast course and you had so much determination to make this podcast come to life. And look at how much you've grown since then. I know you're going to hit that 100,000 download mark and it's only going to keep building from there. Let's all help Claire celebrate and help her reach that next milestone. Go check out her podcast. It's called Slimming Stories Around the World. And her Instagram is at SW underscore Slimming Stories underscore podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. It means so much. If you want to hear more amazing episodes, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or you can follow along on Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you want to be an insider and get bonus behind the scenes content plus exclusive minisodes, then join us at kathyheller.com slash insider. And don't forget to come say hello to me on Instagram. I'm at kathy.heller and I want to be featuring our listeners on the podcast. So definitely write to me in the DMs. Tell me what successes you've had. Tell me where you're at. Tell me what little steps you've taken, what big steps you've taken, because you never know how that might inspire somebody else. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday. Touch the ground, you're all